0: can you imagine at 19 years old you are given the news the news that you will not walk again or not without aid not without the help of crutches or whatever because you were fun and lively and and passionate enough to jump on a quad bike can you imagine that and then what what happens well Amelia Peckham, who is my guest in this episode, tells us that you strip back to basics and then you just learn how to move your toes, how to put one foot after another. And then what happens? Well, then Amelia did not stop there because she is one of those unbelievably courageous and inspiring women who decided to change what was not good enough. And she changed and she created cool crutches because she was not happy with the hospital crutches. And you will listen to her stories. It's an amazingly inspiring story that actually teaches us how important to follow your gut feelings and fight for it and go for it because Amelia went for it and the only advice that she gave us is go for it. You're in a treat, my friend, so just tune in and have fun. Welcome to the She Is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles and thoughtful conversations offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hi Amelia, welcome to The She's Awesome Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is so kind. I know we had some technical issues, but here we are. Hopefully it will hold until we finish our lovely chat. So before we go in depth, can I ask you, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Yeah. So my name is Amelia Peckham. I am one of the co-founders of Cool Crutches. And in a nutshell, I broke my back when I was 19, which was 2005, and became permanently reliant on mobility aids, one of which was crutches, and they were awful. So I couldn't actually use my hospital ones, which is when my mum and I tried to find better crutches, and they didn't exist. So we decided to launch our own business selling them.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's a very in a nutshell. So Kimmy, <laughs> you know, I, I love digging deep. So I'm going to ask you a few questions there before we get into Cool Crutches, your entrepreneurial journey. So you are 19. Were you at uni back then? Yes.
1: So I was in my second year at university studying history and Spanish with big plans to stay there for four years. And basically I was at Edinburgh University and four of us went on a Friday away for the weekend to stay in a cottage in the Highlands where there was no phone reception or people. And basically we were in the middle of nowhere and you couldn't get anywhere without walking for about four hours. But we found a quad bike in a shed next to the house and thought, well, we'll try that. We'd all been on quad bikes growing up, so kind of vaguely knew I'd never driven one. And yeah, basically decided to drive one on a very tiny lane with a very big drop. And we hit a pothole and one wheel just sort of lost footing and slid off the edge and it rolled. But I was driving. There were three other people on it and they were all fine. One broke her finger. But apart from that, I was the only person with any hospital needed help. So yeah, and I guess best case scenario, four people on a bike and um, ends up flipping down a massive ravine. But, yeah, it was pretty shocking, pretty scary.
0: I imagine it was pretty scary. It's life-changing, isn't it? And of course, it's been a while. No one will see this, but you're telling the story with a relaxed smile on your face. Probably you've told it that many, many times now. So Tell me a little bit more about what happened after, I mean, the horrible announcement of life is changing. The thing is, why am I asking? I'm trying to understand between that and you now being the founder, there must have been a journey of learning and wisdom. So that's why I'm trying to get to that kind of steps of, you know, before Cool Crutches, there was a little girl and then that little girl grow up and um, yeah. had to grow up in a very uh, brutal way so tell me a little Wait. bit more about it if you don't mind
1: yeah no course so I mean I think part of it is probably that we hit rock bottom I think 19 I mean I don't think there's ever a good age to have a kind of seriously life-changing injury but I think 19's got to be up there with one of the less fun times to do it and really like within 24 hours they said know, you're not going to be out of bed for months this isn't You know, two weeks in a cast, or six weeks in a cast, or twelve weeks in a cast. This is months flat on your back. And if you're lucky, we'll find someone who will operate on you. And if you're lucky and it goes well, you'll be able to get up and start to do physio. But you know, you need to get your head around it's going to be a wheelchair. And if you're lucky, crutches. So you do just go from thinking, "Oh, I'm going to get a job in London, and where am I going to live, and who am I going to live with?" Suddenly, everything that. I thought was important, did not matter. And it was literally you need to get to a point where you can put one foot in front of the other, whether it's enough to do it unaided, aided. You've just got to get to a point where you can stand and potentially walk. So it kind of stripped everything back to basics. And, you know, I did it in Scotland. So I was in hospital in Scotland. So my mum lived in a motel around the corner from the hospital and she came to see me every day. But my sister was down south. My dad was down south. Like their whole life was down south. So really it was mum and me in the thick of it for months and everything was will she walk won't she walk you know mum used to say she'd go back after a day with me in the hospital and there'd be 18 voicemails from people being like, you know can she feel her toe can she feel her knee can she and mum was like this is just awful so I think when we got to a point where it was like you can go to physio if I could have done I would have leapt out of bed but I, you know I'm so like this is my great white hope and this is mum's kind of clinging to anything that I can get back because you don't know what you're going to have. You know, if you break your back and it's complete and you're paralysed and your waist down and that is it, horrendous though it is, you know that's it. There's no chance. There's no pressure on you to regain it. There's no, did you do enough physio? Did you not do enough physio? So the pressure was on me and mum and dad to kind of support me to make me physically do as much as I could to get it back. And you have this kind of six-month window where the compression in your spine comes down, the bruising comes down, your nerves start kind of relaxing and not overstimulating. And that six-month post-accident mark is your like, that's what your life's going to look like for the rest of it. So what you do in that first six months is all down to you. So the pressure was on constantly. And I think it, it became very quickly apparent that the misery was not fun and the horrible bits were awful. And, you know, the fear of nothing coming back and, you know, not having any independence haunted us both, but really talking about it didn't help. So I was like, you know, if someone comes to visit me, I really don't want to tell them that, you know, I have to be hoiked out of bed in a sling to go to the loo. I was like, they didn't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. So And I think this happens to a lot of people. You flip your mindset from what you can't do to what you can. And suddenly things start to feel a bit easier and you start to think, right, if tomorrow the key is to go to the loo without having to do the sling, So just sit up and move, even if it takes four hours. That was an achievement. And then the next thing was, can I get a pair of shoes on, even if I can't walk with them? Great. So there were little bits of hope the whole way along. But then when it came to the... Actual rehab and standing and walking. And that was a bit of a like, this is seriously going to be hard. If I get onto crutches, it will be for months and months and months of rehab. and doing it, you know, four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon and basically being asleep every time I sat down between them. It was relentless. But then it got to a point where I was like, actually, mentally, I can do this. I can chuck it at me and I'll you know, burn myself into the ground trying to do it. But physically, the blisters on my hands were horrendous. I was putting so much weight through my crutches that my wrists were agony, which then meant my elbows were agony, my shoulders were agony. And I was like, the reality of a disability is not the actual disability. It's all the repercussions. So my back was then going to cause upper body problems, which was the one... <laughs> Part of my body that in theory was not affected by my injury so I was like the whole mobility aid rehab being discharged from hospital is so archaic or was it's better now that I was like there has to be something I can do to stop people like me ending up where I am and thinking do you know what I've really tried but sod it I have give up like this is too many People saying, yeah, you could do that, but we don't have the equipment, or yeah, you could, yeah, we, mm, no, we don't have the money, or it was all kind of in theory, you could walk, but in reality, it's not going to happen. Let's just get on with it. And here's your wheelchair. So that was kind of the lead up to it. And then, you know, we were kind of three, six months in, and mum just looked at me and went, there cannot be no crutches. Like there has to be a crutch that someone in America or China or has made that's moulded and doesn't hurt. And I was like, you would think so. But we looked and 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 there was nothing. And she was like, we have got a choice. We can sit for the next 12 months and continue to talk about your injury can you feel your toes can you feel your legs every time you see someone will you walk again and you and I basically sit and stare at my toes hoping that they'll wiggle one day or we do this and we're busy we've got something to focus on if we're terrible at it and the product's awful and the website doesn't work and everybody hates it and thinks we're rubbish we'll give it up once you go back to uni if you go back to uni but if we don't do it we'll be talking about this Forever, and it will just become this horrible negative kind of void for a year. And if we do it, it'll be fun. So that was kind of our theory. And also, I was in hospital with other people who had similar injuries, but the mental impact was so much worse because they didn't have the same support network around them. Mm. So there were two professional football players opposite me, both of whom obviously weren't going to play football again. Now, I am not an athlete. I was actually chuffed that I'd never be able to run again because I was like, I hate running. But they were obviously devastated that they were never going to be able to play football again. And I was like, you need people around you to be like, you know, don't worry about that. Just get to the gym. You love the gym. And they didn't have it. And they went backwards really quickly. And, you know, there was another guy who was in the army and he'd broken his neck and he was essentially suicidal in the next door room to me. Just being like, how I can't live like this. And I was like, this is so hideous. Someone has got to help these people and it's not going to be hospitals because they can't physically cope with the level of support that these people need and all of them suddenly when we were like we're going to set up a business doing practice they were like doing what like what are you going to put on the bottom what are you going to put on the top and the whole thing just became this like wave of good and it was interesting and people were interested in it and everybody wanted them so sort of that's where it kind of grew from but I think you know, we always say the business actually is so much more than selling sticks. It's so much more about your like mental headspace and being offered a choice and offered something kind of tangible that you can decide what it looks like. You can decide if you want one, you can decide if you don't want one. Like it it was about giving people that mental like control and choice and empowerment. And that's why I think it's been successful. You know, I think giving people a wheelchair or sticks or crutches that function is one thing but you've got to give them the rest you've got to give functionality and style to make it a powerful thing do you see what I mean
0: Yeah. And I'm going to get to that, but there is so much stuff that you said that I want to highlight a little bit. So the first thing that you said, and I kind of like literally lived it while you were telling it's like you're 19, you had this, that, that to do a whole life to live in front of you. And all of a sudden you're saying you're back to basics and then you got to learn to move your toes again and step by step. Would you think that there's a lot of things like determination, resilience, positive mindset. Like, I don't think that it's uncommon to see suicidal thoughts in that environment. It's, it should be like, I would think it's more common than... Oh, well. Yeah. So there are a lot of human skills that you... Had to develop, or you developed things to your mom, or things maybe you had in you, and then you developed even more at the age of nineteen twenty. I mean, at the age of nineteen twenty, all I was thinking was, when was I going to get high? Right? So that was the, <laughs> that. was that. You know, like oh, we're. I don't think
1: that changed. I think I was probably still worrying about that. I thought, when am I ever going to get out of here and not be sitting with my parents? God's uh, sake. It's
0: like, it's like where's the next boy? Where is the next, uh, you yeah. know, so it was like all about fun, fun, fun. And you are in a completely different setup now. And although it doesn't feel like you're developing those skills, but you are developing those skills. Would you think that further down the line, those skills actually were also feel for the business? Uh, yes.
1: And I think, I find it really interesting because I think if you put, most of the people that I'm friends with in the same boat, I think they have the same reaction and they'd come out of it in the same way. But the reality is, I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's nature, nurture. You definitely need a sense of humour that will put you in good stead for it. But you don't know until you get smashed into rock bottom what's going to happen and how you're going to react to it. I think resilience is a weird thing. And I often say this, that I've got two children now and I'm like, all I want them to be is resilient. I want them to be able to cope. You know, something horrid happens, they can pivot and move forwards and it's not something that rocks them. But to become resilient, you have to go through horrid things. So that's obviously not something you'd wish on anybody. So you're like, well, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but then you have to go through nasty stuff to become resilient and be able to cope with it. And I think the the bottom line is... Obviously, breaking your back at 19 is an extreme version of this, but horrid things are coming. And, you know, I've got friends of mine whose parents got divorced and it had nearly as negative an impact then as my back had on me. It's relative to you and it's really difficult, but they're coming and you've got to be able to... Realize that you can only really worry about what you can control. And if you can't control it, you have to be able to compartmentalize it and, you know, move past it. But really, you need to know what you like. You need to avoid what you don't like. And you just need to focus on things that make you happy. And that's probably something I would have learned in my 60s, but. <laughs>
0: I got there a bit faster. Yes. I just want to repeat what you said, because please, like, take a pen and write it. You need to control what you can control. That is really important. Mm. And then what you can't control, you need to compartmentalize it, which is amazing. And I I mean, everything that you say, it kind of sounds uh, shallow to come after that to business, but everything... That you say, I feel like superpowers that you developed for life and business. So very inspiring story. Thank you for sharing this. I'm not going to go into depth of everything more, but I wanted to look into now because It was in 2005, you said. So it's almost 20 years ago. And you went through the blisters, horrible experience with crutches and best business ideas come from real needs. So that was a real need. And you started to develop these crutches. When was that?
1: So we started in 2006. So, my accident was in October and I came out of hospital fully by March 2006. And we registered the business in September 2006. So, I mean, it was pretty quick. We spent about three months looking at different manufacturers, isolating the problems we were trying to solve, because my biggest one was it didn't draw attention. And so, for me, it was it doesn't click. So, people can't hear me coming. You know, small things like doctors were terrified to tell me that I'd never walk again or. Equally terrified to tell me that I would. And then if I didn't, I'd be like, hang on, you told me I was going to walk and I can't, what's going on? So they'd talk about me down the corridor and I would try and sneak up and be like, what do they say? Like, I just want to know. But they'd hear my crutches clicking. So I was like, I never got anywhere near the truth. I was like, this is so annoying they have to be silent I can't you know and I'd arrive in a restaurant and I'd be like oh here she is and I was like you haven't even seen me yet I'm around the corner and they're like we can hear you and I'm like this is so annoying so that was like I don't know I think you just want your independence back don't you I didn't want to be heard I didn't want to be seen and I did not want to be asked about my accident which is obviously the polar opposite to me now so silence non-slip because they were lethal. And hospital floors are always, you know, those stupid signs that say floor is wet. I was like, oh God, here we go off all over again. And the hospital ones, you know, they're designed to last 12 weeks max. I was on them for six months and I'd snapped two pairs. So, you know, they weren't designed for long-term use. They weren't designed for heavy use. So I was like, they've got to be safe. Someone's going to have to do some sort of health and safety checks to make sure they're certified. And then the other one was when you opened a door, any smart comfortable crutches were from Europe and they have open cuffs so they don't go the whole way around so you'd lift your arm up to open the door and it would fall down well you know at the best of times if I bend down to pick up my stick I'm going splat let alone like it always happened when I was out and I was like have a glass of wine open the door and I'd be like oh my god I can't bend down because I'm gonna fall over so then I end up sitting on the floor to pick it up and then stand up and that looks like some sort of performance I was like it's got to be able to hang off my arm so those were the kind of starting points. And then, you know, we found one that had a really good rubber tip that didn't slip. We found one that had a really good upper bit that gave you a choice between a full cuff and a half cuff. We had ones with molded handles, some that were gel, some that were near neoprene, some of that, all of the different ones. But I was like, all of them, if you have Go on a long walk, and it, you know the whole point was I'm living with these. I'm not walking five steps from my door to the car. I want to be able to go on a walk for half an hour on them, and very few didn't give me blisters. So I was like, I know it needs to be molded. I know it needs to have a squidgy grip. But it can't, the grip's got to be able to come off because you've got to be able to wash it. Some of them had those ones that are attached and they're horrible. So yeah, we did that. And then ours are completely silent. So they have a nice clip and the bottom's really grippy and it's cushioned. So it doesn't dry your elbows. And then I, we finally got the kind of prototype and we were like, we think we've nailed it. This is brilliant. And it was plain black which is still our best seller. So I wasn't completely mad when I said everyone wants to not be seen. And we went back in and everyone was like, they're amazing. They're brilliant. But why are they black? Like I want polka dots. I want stripes. And I was like, did not even occur to me. I was like, so honed in on the like physical product that I was like, yeah, I mean, no brainer, surely. Right. Okay. We'll do like three or four colors and see what happens. And that was it. That was then the difference between having a business where someone buys one pair and suddenly, people are buying ten. So, yeah, like that was market research, wasn't it? And that was asking people and saying, like, what would you have? And they were like, I'd have ten pairs. I'd have a blue one, a pink one, a leopard one, a great. And I was like, right, okay, great. So,
0: and I guess that's the lean startup model, right? You couldn't come with that idea from the start, and you wouldn't because that would have cost you too much. So. That's great. So things started to work and tick. And then what happened? You got married or not? I don't know, but you had your kids.
1: So we got to September 2006 when we registered the business and I went back to university temporarily between that September and Christmas, I was kind of up and down depending on doctors and stuff. But the plan was I wanted to go back. And this is another huge thing about acquiring a disability is that you very much are fixated on your life before your disability. And I was like, I want to go back to uni. I will work in London. I will get a job in advertising because it's what I wanted to do. And I'm not going to let it stop me. And I was like, I'm still me, like I'm doing it. So I was like... Madwoman. Went back to Udney. I mean, luckily we set the business up because I couldn't lift anything. Mum obviously did not want to be lifting boxes and dealing with crutches all day long. So the whole model was based on we have to be able to run it from anywhere with a laptop and that has to be it. So we had albeit the most hideous website you've probably ever seen because we didn't have any money. So we built this like really rubbish website and then had a fulfillment house, which is basically a big warehouse where they pick and pack and send everything so that we didn't have to physically do it because I knew I'd be able to do five orders and then I'd be Lying down for three weeks. And so when I went back to uni, we could do it all from remotely and it worked and it was brilliant. So I still wanted to work in advertising and PR and was adamant that that was going to be what I was going to do. And so I went back to uni and I was doing work experience on the side uh, in for PR agencies or writing or, you know, loads of different things. And I knew how to send a press release, I knew how to write one and I knew how to kind of mass sell it into the press. And back then there was no, social media. So it was just ringing a journalist and saying, this is what happened. Do you want to feature it? And we got a lot of press, I think because it was a fairly shocking story and people were interested in product-based businesses. Then there was a massive kind of boom in e-commerce and it was growing. So it was really relevant and it was really interesting. And also I was young, which I think massively helped. So we got a lot of PR and that then meant there were spikes in sales. And that meant, meant we had more money to buy more inventory and we released more product, more colors and stuff. But because it wasn't a full time business, and it wasn't our full time job. There was no kind of pressure. It made more money, we put more money in. It made more money, we put more money in. But really, it wasn't like either of us were looking at it going, we're going to grow this and make it massive. So it carried on as a kind of side project until about 2016 when I was working. I found out I was pregnant. So I'd got married. Again, did not expect that to happen. Met my husband at another wedding. So if anyone's ever thinking I don't want to go to a wedding, go. You never know, you might meet them. <laughs> um, And we were together for about 18 months before we got married and then very quickly found out I was pregnant. Again, was told having children would be asking for it, all the rest of it. And I was like, technically speaking, there's nothing that a spinal injury does to your ability to conceive a baby it's just carrying it and looking after it that's the problem so i was like if i'm sensible and i get help and i'll be able to do it so i was very stubborn about that but because i was pregnant i went down to part-time with my job and i knew that physically it was going to be a battle to get through the nine months so i was like i just i'm not going to make this any harder for anybody it's going to be a nightmare so if I go down to three days, I'm still in the business, I'll end up doing longer and I'll probably overcompensate. So you'll be fine. And my boss was like, don't be ridiculous. I think you should have gone part-time ages ago because I think you need to start looking at whether cool crutches could be a full-time job. And if it's a viable business, you slowly edge out of this business and you start doing it on your own. So from that sense, I was incredibly lucky that my boss was supportive. And then I went on maternity leave and I was really bored. That sounds awful. But the first four months I was like, this is horrendous. I'm never going to sleep again. Oh my God. And then I was like, I really want to work more than ever before. Like I do not want to, I'm not a stay at home mom. I can't do playing on the floor with bricks and toys. I can't, I'm just used to at it. And I can't, you know, run around swinging them around roller coasters and soft plays and all I was like, physically not for me. So I was like, I need to get a proper job. So that's when I went back and I was like, right, I'm coming back to work after four months. My boss was like, what are you, doing you were like you can't be doing this and I was like I'll work remotely like I'll do whatever and he was like okay you can come back but you have to do cool crutches three days a week you put your child into childcare, and you do it and give yourself six months and if it doesn't work can it and you can come back to work for me so I was like okay great so I did that and then sales just went every time I did anything so I was like we hit our target within three months I think and I was like right this is serious like I need to do it and then COVID came along and I was like Oh my God. But I was pregnant again and I pulled all the cost out of the business because I was going on maternity leave and my maternity leave started on the 20th of March, 2020. Oh no. And we shut down. (laughs) No, it was good. We shut down the whole country on like the 24th. So we didn't get paid at the thing, but it meant I'd already pulled everything, like all advertising, all marketing, everything had come to a stop. And I was like, we need to give it a year hoping I was going to do a bit longer on maternity leave second time round, to see what it does if I do nothing. Because I was like, then we know, worst case scenario, if we don't do any marketing, we don't do any sales, and we don't do any events, what are we looking at? And then we had COVID as well, which massively hit sales because no one was going out and anyone with a disability wasn't using their stick. So it was like, you know, there was just no incentive. But we ended up making the same amount of money because we pulled the cost out. So that was like the best thing that happened, because I was like, this is going to survive on its own. If nobody does anything, we're still going to make money. And then when 2021 came around, I was like, the business that I was working for had gone into administration. And I was like, this is all pointing towards doing this full time. And I think I'm going to go for it. And we'll give it three months. And I have to hit X amount of revenue. And we did it in three. And then that was it. Like, it snowballed and it snowballed so fast. I was like, oh my God, I've bitten off more than I can chew. Help. But I think that happens, doesn't it? And then you hit a wall and you think I'm going to self-combust. I can't do this anymore. And then, you know, you buy an office or hello, we've now got an office. You know, it's been really slow. Like this time last year, I did not have an office. I think I just got a work phone. I think I bought a laptop. Like it just was very basic, but... You know, we've done really well and we now sell walking sticks. So that was a huge, huge thing for us to do in 2019. My dad actually fell over. He tripped on a doorstep and smashed his pelvis in eight places, which at the age of 60 is just like about the worst thing you can do for your mobility. So he eventually obviously had the same experience back on crutches and then got down to a walking stick. But they were like, we think you're going to need a walking stick permanently. He's six foot five. Like, you can't be buying an Amazon tinny job for someone who's got a wonky pelvis. It just was like, you cannot, cannot have a normal stick. You cannot buy one, dad. And he was like, well, I have to have one. And then he was diagnosed with osteoporosis. So he couldn't use the crutch because the risk was if he fell, he would break his arm. So I was like, right, we need to get a proper stick. Went back to the manufacturer and said, can you do it? Same concept, silent, proper handle, certified. And they were like, definitely. So they did that. And then... We thought it's a really saturated market. Loads of people make walking sticks. I don't think it's going to be massive. And we now sell more walking sticks than we sell crutches. So it was clearly there's a big demand for ones that are safe. Like, I think people are more fussy now than they've ever been. And I think, you know, more people are using them long term. So I think we were not expecting that to go as well as it did either. But that has kind of meant a whole other revenue stream has come into the business and almost like a separate business as well. So it's been very surreal.
0: Can I take a step back and just give some perspective here? So you have a major disability. You have two kids. One is five, one is three. You have a a fairly old business, but actually it kind of, you reset it let's say very recently, and you introduced a new line of product in it and things are going well. Can you please say, wow, Amelia, I am fucking rocking it. <laughs> Can you please <laughs> say know, that?
1: It's sort of mainly trying to survive and not have a nervous breakdown, but yeah, it's
0: going well. <laughs> it's not a nervous breakdown. Come on. You've climbed the Everest. Cool. Amazing congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you. Honestly, it's the best job. I love it. So, oh, yeah,
0: Amazing. But I'm going to ask you a few things like fire questions before we uh, wrap it up slowly. I mean, I feel like there is something before I go into the fire questions, actually, I'm going to explore this. I feel like you have a super talent that you mentioned a few times, but I'm not sure if you know that you have that talent, which is in two folds. One is asking help and the other one finding the right supporting people. That's a really strong talent for entrepreneurship. It's the people who get blocked and cannot grow is at that level when they cannot let go, they cannot ask for help, they cannot bring help. And I feel like both your injury and what you have experienced 20 years ago and how you had to ask for help became a great strategy for you in life and in business would you say so is it a a, fair comment
1: yes I think you know when I made the decision to go full-time it was like you teach yourself like I used to watch hours and hours and hours of YouTube videos on how to make a website optimized how to run Facebook ads how to get your organic social media right like marketing finance you name it how to use zero like I thought I had to do it all And then when it gets to a point where you're like, we're making money, I feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. And then you talk to somebody and they'll be like, oh my God, do you outsource that? What are you doing? And you're like, you what? Who do? <laughs> and like an accountant. And you're like, okay, great. And they're literally like, hello. And suddenly Same. your whole life changes <laughs> and your whole business goes into another gear. And I'm like, and it's so difficult because when people say, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. Like I am not... A business person, I have worked for multiple businesses that have gone into administration. Like I've seen it go wrong. Maybe that's why I've done well. But like it's not rocket science, it's common sense, but you have to understand your limitations and you have to realize the brick wall is coming. And when you get within two meters of it, that's when you need to move sideways and go past it. Like I'm on an accelerator with Nat West. I've done a program with Meta and Nat West called She Means Business. I say yes to everything because I think you are never going to not meet somebody, you know, it's very rare that I go to something and don't, meet somebody amazing or something amazing comes out of it. And I'm like, if you don't say yes and you don't do stuff, you will never get the help. And it's about finding people that are better than you at what you're doing and can help you. And I think even now, you know, I've got friends who are setting up businesses and I'm like, please sit down with me and I'll give you this like cheat sheet. You know, you need these five things at least in your first year. And then once you get to this point, this is what you need to look at. But, you know, there's a huge force of good in entrepreneurship, which is. When you figure something out and it works, you feel a responsibility to help somebody else. So I think there is always entrepreneurs will help other people, but it also means if you're struggling, there are people that will help you. You just have to be proactive about it and you have to be able to say, I don't know anything about accounts. Like, what am I doing? I can't do it on a spreadsheet. And then someone will be like, no, do this. And then it's on you go.
0: Yeah. But yeah. And I think that's definitely... Like the resourcefulness and how you brought help and how you... Figured things out. That is a great asset. Um, Well, I
1: think it's knowing your weaknesses, isn't it? It's like, you know, people always say to me, who do you look up to entrepreneurship wise? And I'm like, Richard Branson, because he knows he can't do it. The reason he is successful is because he has an idea, he gets the bones of it, and then he gets people who are better than him to help him. Like, you know, I am not the best at anything. I'll pretty much try anything, but I will not be the best at it ever. And I think that's where you have to be like, that's totally fine. You're not meant to be able to do it all. You're not meant to be brilliant at anything or everything. You're meant to just give it a go. And if it doesn't work, find someone else that can.
0: And I always say that find a way. You don't have yeah. money, find a way. You know, find a way to get that person in. Find a way. You can always find a way. If that's in your focus, then yeah. you're going to find a way. And you did. And you did. It's wonderful. The story is wonderful. So, last few questions. First of all, recently, you had a big achievement. And I know this because we were supposed to record this podcast earlier and you had to postpone it because you had this massive achievement. Would you like to talk about that?
1: Oh, yeah, it still feels really surreal. But basically, I was approached to apply for something called National women's enterprise week which was celebrating female founders and it was successful female business women CEOs venture capitalists angel investors looking to help businesses set up by women get funding from women but it was an incubator it was 3 days in london it was a very very intense dragon's den meets the apprentice drop your bag, you're into the first meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and you will not see or speak to anyone until 11 o'clock at night when the day ends. And honestly, I was not expecting it. It was exhilarating, but it was absolutely exhausting. And anything from sales to marketing, you name it, there was someone coming in to talk to us and hugely successful female founders coming to talk to us. And then at the end, there was a pitch to six female founders, one of whom was... The prime minister's wife. So that was a good <laughs> wish. Uh, And like, I mean, she's obviously phenomenal, but the other five weren't exactly wallflowers. It was terrifying. And then, yeah, so 12 of us had gone through this three-day incubator and then did our pitches in front of this panel at the end, which was all recorded and in front of everybody in the room, including all the other female founders that were doing it too. And I won a business grant and I am now having very exciting conversations with multiple people out of it. But yeah, it was extraordinary it was very surreal so i found out on the thursday night after the award and i'd won we went to the house of lords for a drinks reception and an enterprise award ceremony which again on its own and i was like pinch me i don't know what i'm doing and i got a message at about 6 30 saying oh i didn't realize but it's actually my eldest son's sports day tomorrow afternoon and i was like oh my god to get back, I am going to need to be on a train at 7.15 tomorrow morning. And it's currently 11 and I am in the House of Lords. What am I doing? And I was like, right, okay. So I did that whole week, adrenaline, literally didn't sleep and then got on a train on Friday morning and got to school by midday. And I was sitting on a patch of grass with my other child and my husband and being like, how is this just? <laughs> i just, this time yesterday, I was shaking the prime minister's wife's hand, and today I'm sitting on a piece of grass in a field watching children run around like
0: motherhood so and entrepreneurship yeah. with <laughs> Mary. Well, one of the women who was
1: on the panel was at the drinks. The night before and she saw my face when my phone went and she said I hope it's not to do with your children I was like it's only sports day tomorrow afternoon she was like you go you go no matter what happens you never ever ever don't do the mummy bits for your business you always say yes to the mummy bits and I was like okay So yeah, very surreal, but I've only just recovered and it was three weeks ago.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, that sounds just fantastic. I'm so happy that oh, that award was awarded to you. I think uh, you deserve it. Cool crutches deserve it. Do you have any particular message that you want to give out from here to a women entrepreneur audience, but also in general? I mean, We're pretty diversity prone show. So probably very, very diversity claiming audience as well.
1: I mean, I think I always say to anyone, three words, go for it. You are never going to lose it. You are never going to not gain something out of it. And would you like to put yourself forward to go on this program with other female founders? And I thought, oh my God, how scary. Probably not. Yes, I'll do it. You just have to push yourself out of your comfort zone and go for it because what else is life about? You can sit and do nothing and nothing changes, or you can sit and do something and something changes. And I am of the latter group. I think you've just got to go. And also don't ever think you can't do it because you can. Like I've taught myself all sorts of things I knew nothing about. There's nothing you cannot do. If someone says no, you're talking to the wrong person. Keep going and go for it.
0: I love it. I think he just gave the title to our episode. How to go uh, for it, right? Thank yes, you so much Amelia. I have one last question. It's the signature question of this show. You know the name of the show is She's Awesome. The reason why it's She's Awesome because I want really my guests, women entrepreneurs to recognize and all their greatness and awesomeness. So, Amelia, why are you awesome? Ah, uh, because I'm still
1: going. I will never, ever stop. And I will never, ever give up.
0: Ah, uh, that is awesome. You just put tears in my eyes. Uh. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. This is an amazing journey. It's so inspiring. Thank you. And go for it, because what you are doing, what you are bringing it is wants to get a time changing people's lives. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm not going to let you go in terms of we're going to become friends and I'll be like harassing you. <laughs>
1: I know. Well, I want to come to one of your events. I'm like desperate that i also was so shifty, wasn't I? When we first spoke, so you were like, would you like to come to this? I was like, I can't really, I can't really do anything <laughs> for like six weeks. But yes.
0: That's all good. We're going to definitely bring you to one of our events. Well, thank you again and we'll see you at one of our events. Thank you guys for listening and see you. Find me back here next week. Bye, Amelia. Bye. Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.